1: and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program.
2: Thank you for joining us today in the Lewis Lerman Auditorium. I just wanted to take the opportunity to remind everyone attending in person to please silence your cell phones. And for those watching online, you're welcome to submit questions by emailing speaker at heritage.org. Today's program is being broadcast and recorded, and will be available on the Heritage website within 24 hours for future reference. Now it's my pleasure to introduce the host of today's program, Rachel Gresler. She's the Research Fellow in Economics, Budget, and Entitlements in the Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget here at the Heritage Foundation. Rachel? Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming today. So even in the midst of this strong and growing economy, we have the lowest unemployment rate in nearly 50 years, workers remain wary about what the future holds. There's fear that automation could replace workers' jobs, and even while many Americans recognize the benefits of technological advancement and artificial intelligence, they nonetheless worry that it could negatively impact them or others around them. Today, we'll hear about how employers across various sectors, including the automobile industry, software development, and the wireless infrastructure, are all working with educational institutions and also developing their own programs to help train workers to meet the demands of both today's and tomorrow's economy. And we'll also hear about the intersection between policymakers and private sector employers and how the two can work together to help remove barriers and open doors to jobs and opportunities for workers, while also helping spur innovation and helping to create a prosperous economy. So joining us today, we have a great panel of experts here who are working on this very issue of helping to prepare individuals for successful careers that also match the demands of our economy. So first, we have Robert Chiappetta. He is the Director of Government Affairs at Toyota Motor North America, Inc., Next up is Suhail Khan, who is the Director of External Affairs with Microsoft. Then we have James Redstone. He's a Special Assistant to the President for Domestic Policy. And last there, we have Grant Seifert, who is Vice President of Workforce Development and also the Executive Director of TIREP, which stands for the Telecommunications Industry Registered Apprenticeship Program. So we're just going to have a discussion today with our panelists, and then we'll also have some question time at the end. I'm going to join them down here so that we can more actively engage. I guess on the screen here we might have some um, slides come up. Um, I wanted to start first with Suhail. So technology, you're working for Microsoft, and this is one of the most growing sectors. Um, I believe that the tech sector produces upwards of 120,000 jobs per year, and yet when I was talking with you, you said that only about 40,000 people graduate with the degrees that they need to fill those jobs. So this shortage exists even though you have great compensation packages that you're offering them, you know, six-figure salaries. So why do you think that this um, shortage is there, and what can be done to help fill that gap?
3: Well, thanks, Rachel, for having me, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here at Heritage with all of you. I'm a lifelong fan of Heritage and all the work that you do on so many important policy issues uh, that our country faces, uh, and this is indeed one of them, uh, workforce development. And you're exactly right. The good news is that the United States is still the leading uh, country when it comes to technology. We're, we're at the cutting edge. There are other competitors out there around the globe that are trying to compete with us, and they're getting close. But for a host of reasons, uh, you know, American exceptionalism is, there's no exception when it comes to technology as well, and that we are the leader. But there are challenges. And on the positive side, as you stated, we, we, the industry writ large, whether you're looking at a Microsoft or a Google or a Facebook or even other companies that now increasingly are utilizing technology as part of their product line for GM, GE, et cetera, you're finding that, uh, there is a need for qualified uh, engineers to help engineer the latest technologies that we use every day, uh, you know, morning until evening uh, and throughout the night. And that is something that is a challenge because, as you stated, while we are creating new jobs every year and it's growing with this with this booming economy, before uh, the boom this last three years, it was at the 120,000 new jobs per year. And that's even... Going uh, farther than that, the challenges, as you underlined, we have about 40,000 American kids that are getting the degrees that you need to fill those roles. And so we're looking for ways to expose children, particularly at our younger age on the K through 12 level, to math and science. And of course, there's been a lot of discussion about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. There's no doubt that that's crucial. What that really means is that kids in the classroom need to be exposed to math, computer science, one statistic I saw is that there are more Latin classes right now in American high schools than there are computer science courses. And oftentimes, those computer science courses have been relegated to something of a vocational training. Uh, so, some students might be taking, you know, shop, uh, metalwork, carpentry. Um, the, they're not, they're taking some of the more basic uh, computer science and programming classes but they're not geared towards the best and brightest necessarily, and, not, and students are not being directed towards those courses. They're seen as kind of rudimentary and very basic. And so what we're, working, what we're working now with a coalition, it's called CSEC, Computer Science Education Coalition, with other companies that, again, are facing this challenge to see if we can direct existing funds at the Department of Education towards computer, computer science education. So not just STEM, but specifically computer science education. And the Administration has been a great champion. The president, in September of 2017, directed the Department of Education to spend $200 million towards this. But in the end, it's also something for governors to take the lead. And governors uh, like Asa Hutchinson from Arkansas are real champions who are beginning to see that they need to direct specific state and federal funding where possible towards computer science education in the classroom.
2: Great. And- a lot of this, you know, the high-tech industry and software obviously needs people that have higher levels of education, but are there some other alternatives to the typical four-year degree program? Is it, is it possible for workers to get a job in this sector without having to go through that expense and time of a four-year degree?
3: Exactly right. Uh, so there's no doubt that the need is primarily for uh people with four-year and even beyond degrees in computer science, mathematics. And you mentioned the, the demand. At Microsoft, for example, we start our employees at well over 100-plus thousand. So that's coming out of college. Uh, plus, we, uh, depending on this, the applicant and where they want to go uh, at Microsoft, um, they will get a $25,000 signing bonus plus another $25,000 in stock. And so, you know, you're 21, you're 22 years old, you're starting at the mid-six figures. And yet, we still have six thousand openings at Microsoft that are unfilled. Uh, many of many of those jobs need, bless you, need a four-year degree. Um, but there are other opportunities for those who don't necessarily have a four-year degree to still enter into this very uh, exciting and, and and booming marketplace. And one program that we have that I'm very proud of is the Microsoft Service Software and, and Systems Academy, whereby what we're doing as Uh, increasing numbers of the military are separating from the military, we're active on 15 bases across the country where we are uh, educating enlisted-only military personnel uh, in an 18-week program. Uh, And that 18-week program can be either 18 weeks straight or uh, can be divided into two nine-week programs. As I said, we're on 15 bases, but we keep adding uh, more bases. And these are, again, active duty. So these folks haven't separated from the military yet, but many of them are contemplating uh, separating from the military. And with these troops, we find that they have a 95% uh, graduation rate and then a 95% uh, rate of employment in various tech uh, companies. Not only, again, traditional tech companies that you might think of, of Microsoft, or Google, uh, Yahoo, or Facebook, but also with other companies like a Toyota or a GM or, uh, or a, a GE. And that's uh, very exciting, particularly because many of the folks who are coming out of the military are looking for their next career, their next opportunity. They're not exactly sure how to translate their military skills. But we've recognized that they have tremendous skills to offer in leadership in discipline and education. And with this program, they have an opportunity to start in the tech sector. And we're looking at an average salary, starting salary of $75,000, uh, and then that grows from there. And I thought maybe what we could do is, if you, if you don't mind, show a quick video um, that might highlight some of the success of this program. War is war, it's not
0: Call of Duty, it's not an action game, there's no respawning. You have to be principled to serve in the military. You are trusting people you've never met to take you in and out of battle to places that you would never journey on your
3: own.
2: The thought of transitioning from the military, it terrified me. I
4: didn't know how
2: to translate my skills. I thought, well, without a bachelor's degree, what can
4: I do? It was very scary.
2: I just want to be myself,
0: and it's hard to do that when you're a Marine. You kind of have to be a Marine, and everybody has to be a Marine. I didn't want just a job. I wanted something that made me feel good every day.
4: The IT industry overall has so many unfilled jobs. Why not bring those two together? The Microsoft Software and Systems Academy is providing education to young military men and women
0: so that they can leave the military and get into a new career. Microsoft is setting you up for success by giving you the tools that you need for the
4: baseline. And then from there, it's kind of up to you.
3: So I'm particularly proud of this program because it's something that it's a private sector solution to a challenge that we're having in the tech industry. But also, it's providing uh, an opportunity for our vets, our heroes, to have a career As they separate from the military. And you saw Chris Cortez, who's a a two star retired Marine Corps general uh, from California. He's heading up the program. And I'm proud that his entire team are also uh, veterans who separated from the military and are proud to serve, continue to serve our country, not only in the tech sector, but many of them in the national security space as they continue to protect our country. So it's something I'm really excited about.
2: Thank you. so that's what's going on in the software sector. I wanted to hear a little bit from you, Robert, about what's happening at Toyota. You have manufacturing, sales. What types of programs have you been working on?
4: Well, you know, it's interesting. The story is much the same. Um, it's obvious in, the, in a tech, with a tech company or a traditional tech company, um, you know, what the problems may be and what the challenge is. But really, uh, I mean, the problem is so similar in so many other industries. In fact, you know, we view ourselves more and more as a tech company company because of the level of sophistication and, um, uh, you know, talent, the uh, type of talent that we need to be able to be successful in our, in our business. Um, you know, we, um, we do a number of different things. We have, uh, we have two signature workforce training programs that I, I like talking about again and again. One is on the manufacturing side and one is on the sales side. And um, these are programs that help us fill a gap that's really difficult to fill, not only for us but really for 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 everyone in in similar space. Um, these are positions that require a little bit more than just high school, uh, but maybe not as much as as a full four year or 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 a master's degree. Um, and um, and it's interesting when you look at the skill set; it's it's over over time it's become increasingly more sophisticated and and requires. Um, better training, uh, which is why there 's a gap is that you know the school systems the education system isn 't really keeping pace with what we need, and so uh, so increasingly it 's hard to find this talent um, but the two two programs are one our advanced manufacturing technician program, which is our manufacturing program, and these um, they're, uh, this program essentially trains after a two year associate degree pro- uh, 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 interval. Um, uh, folks who would repair and maintain robots on our shop floor. And then uh, the the other on the sales side is called the Toyota uh, T-10 program, T-T-E-N program. And that is um, a program that trains technicians who maintain and repair your cars, your your Toyota and Lexus vehicles. Um, And, um, you know, all total combined, these two programs, we partner with about 50 community colleges across the country the programs, again, combined, graduate about 600 uh, students every year uh, who find jobs with Toyota dealerships or with Toyota directly at our manufacturing facilities, um, and, and they're both very, very highly successful. Um, and what we've been doing lately is trying to figure out how can more people, more, more companies benefit from this program, um, you know, the, the workforce pipeline and the education pipeline being what it is, it's really hard for one company to solve even their own problem by themselves. We really have to work together in order to grow, uh, grow the pie, uh, grow, the, grow the field, so that uh, we're all benefiting and not trying to steal from one another. Um, you know, Microsoft is doing some great things. You know, we are trying to do our part as well, and um, and we need more companies and more uh, entities to step forward and, and do similar things. In our situation, we try to do it so that um, others can join what we're doing so it's easy. Uh, In our AMT program, as an example, there are about 300 other companies that are now partnered with us um, at our sites, and they range from large companies like Bosch and um, GE Appliances uh, and other big companies that you would recognize, uh, and, and as small as companies that are about 15 employees large. Um, and the great thing is that each of these companies, all they need to do is invest in the talent that they're trying to obtain uh, in order to participate. Um, everything, all, all the groundwork has been laid out and, and done and it is in place. And um, they invest in the student who you know, works at their site or our site uh, as well as go to school and then when they graduate, they're ready and um, and able to to be helpful to the to, to the company that sponsored them. So it's a real interesting and 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 uh, exciting uh, partnership that we've put together.
2: Mm-hmm. That's great that you've established that, and then are letting all these other companies kind of tag on. Because I can mm-hmm. imagine for somebody that's small and has fifteen employees, it would be hard to set up your own program and know what works and what's going to be the most effective. Yeah. Um, when we were talking, you were telling me how you've kind of changed the nature of education systems by working with these community colleges, and can you kind of paint yeah. what it looks like for individuals who are enrolled in that program, not just coming into class, you know, the typical 15 hours a week and sitting in a classroom, but what is it that they're experiencing? Yeah.
4: So I, I mentioned just a second ago sort of this increasing gap between what the school systems are producing and what it is employers need. Um and that exists for a lot of different reasons and you know we can we can point blame really all over the place uh, uh, because uh, for it but um, you know what what we decided to do was really roll up our sleeves and sit down at the table with the schools that we partner with and really help them understand what it is that we need and we basically showed them an outline of what an applicant should look like when they come to apply for a job at Toyota and outlined it basically uh, in terms of skills. And then we backtracked and said, okay, if you if if this is the student or the graduate um, at the end of the degree program, how does the degree program produce that that talent? And so um, so we did a number of things. We you know we basically helped them re-engineer their curriculum in ways again that focus on the skill sets, and um, you know helped helped design what those courses should look like, how they should be sequenced, um, and how they should be presented to students so that skills are building uh, uh, on themselves, uh, and you get the strongest uh, uh, outcome out of them. And then we also help them sort of redesign the delivery system of of this education. So we help them understand, maybe it's not a great idea to give a student the full summer off between their first year and their second year. That's not what we do as employers. Maybe they should do five consecutive semesters. This is one of, of a number of examples of how we sort of re-engineer the delivery system. Um, but, but the point there is to help the student understand what is work going to actually feel like and be like um, because students, they, they, they look at a career and say, oh, that's what I want to do, and then they realize, oh, i got to do this and that and that, um, and they get maybe disinterested. So by helping them understand exactly what they're getting into by you know trying to replicate work, in school is a great way to prepare and sort of sort out uh, folks um, based on, on on what they like and what they're what they're good at, um, and then finally we also um, helped redesign the classroom for them, and it's along the same thinking. Um, you know, the classroom, typical classroom, or the you know classroom I uh, uh, got to experience is basically a desk, a chair, you know, a teacher lecturing to you. Um, and that's a good way to learn, a good way to learn a lot of different subjects, but um, it doesn't, it, it only teaches you a certain amount of things. It doesn't teach you other things that you also need to know in order to be successful uh, on the work site, and so we've redesigned the classroom to look and feel more like the, the shop floor, the manufacturing floor, so that um, you're learning about how do, you, how do you get around in this space, how do you work together as a team, how do you um, uh, you know how, how do you how do you go through your day um, uh, at work um, in, in an environment that 's safe and where you can learn you know the classroom and so uh, so you know the curriculum the delivery system, and the classroom are three way three big ways that we sort of help these schools understand how to better prepare students how to better deliver education in ways that are meaningful to us and the and the the results have been very very good i mean we 've um, you know we 've uh, we we have now uh, you know a number of uh, graduating classes um, that have gone through this system and um, they they actually have exceeded our expectation in terms of outcomes because you know these students um, for the most part they are exposed to technology at a very early age because they have phones and they you know communicate with their friends and their parents uh, in, in using technology but now they are put they're in a structured environment where they can take that. Sort of intuitive uh, sense and apply it to uh, real world experiences, and so they come out of these this program actually much better qualified than we had originally anticipated.
2: And also, they come out pretty much with a job in most cases, right? Because you've lined it up, right? So that it works out.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so the the company sponsors the student in these programs, but uh, in in both of these programs, uh, and. Um, you know, the idea is if you're successful and you're, you're, you're able to complete the program, there's a job at the end of it. And so, um, you know, the interesting thing is, uh, and, and this is uh, true in a lot of other programs, um, for the time that you're on the work, you're at the work site, um, the company is actually paying you to be there <clears throat> because you're, you're, you're doing work uh, for the company. And that amount of time and that income that you earn basically pays for your education. And so you're able to graduate debt-free, which is a big deal um, uh, for a lot of students um, and, um, and for, for our society, really. And um, and then not only do you graduate debt-free, but you have a job at the end of it, and it's in many cases a very high-paying job, like like it is at Microsoft. Um, and and the and then the pathway, the career pathway for you, really is defined by your interest and your um, your sense of initiative. Uh, you know, these are two-year programs that I guess, you know, in the past were, were seen as sort of the last option for kids. And, and you know, you, you mentioned this, how, you know, the top-tier talent isn't necessarily encouraged to go down this path. You know, the way we've set up recruitment for this program, it's, it's really uh, much like recruiting for an NCAA uh, basketball team. This, this program started in Kentucky, so you, could, you can imagine why we were thinking along these terms. But, um, you know, we wanted to get people excited about being part of Team Toyota or, you know, whatever other company uh, that was part of the system. And we, um, you know, so we're, we're, we're able to find folks that see how this opportunity actually could lead to a lot of other things. You know, and as an example that we put forward uh, time and again, is um, you know there's a woman uh, Leah Curry who runs our manufacturing facility in West Virginia. It's an engine plant in, in in Buffalo, West Virginia, just outside of Charleston. And she started off as a technician, not with Toyota, with a, with a different company initially. But she went through a two year program, became a technician, and now she is running a you know a, a, manu- a major manufacturing plant for a global corporation. And so really, you know, we try to help these students understand that. The pathway is really determined by yourself and, and what you want to do rather than the career, I mean, the, uh, the degree that you're going after. Uh, and that's, that's, I think, an important thing as well.
2: Grant, um, your industry, your organization is kind of looking to the future here and working on developing the 5G infrastructure network that's needed. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your TIRAP, the apprenticeship program, and what you're doing with that?
0: Sure. Uh, thank you for having me and having WIA. WIA is the Wireless Infrastructure Association. We're a nonprofit representing the primarily the tower companies as well as the infrastructure uh, OEMs behind that and all the technicians that are building and what you all are, are on right now, the 4G network, and we're, our mission is to make sure we do everything in a public policy uh, uh, space as well as regulatory space and the, the actually construction of the 5G network to make that dream come true. And so many of the things we're talking about today from Toyota to Microsoft, uh, we all want to happen, of course, but... Without the 5G network and the, the promises of 5G, uh, we're going to have a challenge on our hands. And we represent uh, two uh, platforms within WIA, a, a, the Telecommunications Education Center, which is uh, primarily for uh, those who want to learn about what 5G is and the different uh, segments of that for education, and then we have a training program which we established uh, three years ago, uh, four years ago, I'm sorry, uh, back in, um, and was actually established as the Telecommunications Industry Register Apprenticeship Program in 2017. And we're the national sponsor, so we actually hold the accredited standards uh, program for the Department of Labor. And so our job is to train Uh, a safe and qualified workforce to be able to build out the 5G infrastructure, which in real terms what that means, upgrading the current towers, antennas, and infrastructure, and then building out to a small cell infrastructure that will then get into uh, Internet of Things as well as artificial intelligence and a much more robust uh, bandwidth. And so we're in the broadband space, of course, but in the wireless side. Uh, Tyrap has nine different occupations that um, we uh, train people to. These are great jobs. Uh, these are jobs that uh, now I don't think we're handing out $25,000 uh, <laughs> signing bonuses, but they're but they are $2,500 signing bonuses with 401k uh, health care, and these are primarily construction jobs. We're focused on. Um, whether it's uh, folks in the vocational space, um, folks who are not going to go to four-year colleges who may want to go the vocational route, who may want to go straight into the construction industry. But this is the high-tech construction industry. And there are primarily small, uh, a lot of small businesses, uh, the family-owned businesses that bring uh, employees on through the apprenticeship program. We have currently 24 employers around the country that equals to 1,900 actually uh, uh, signed up employees uh, that are in the apprenticeship program, and we're looking to grow that. Our challenge is that it's expensive for companies to take on the risk of the administration of the program as well as the curriculum development, because it's a long, it's a it's a long tail. It's a 12 month program uh, to 18 months, and then you. Uh, ultimately have a career path that will keep you within the industry for the next 30 to 40 years. Uh, that's where we see uh, one of our ultimate challenges by bringing other occupations, whether it's RF engineering, uh, site acquisition, uh, city planning, real estate, those different um, occupations that will fulfill and support the 5G ecosystem. So that's why the tech training is important. Mm-hmm. Um, We are uh, grateful for the administration's support in the conversation uh, as far as uh, talking about 5G and the importance of it, the fact that it's a strategic economic uh, strategy for the United States' future. Uh, We are grateful for the deregulatory uh, removal of red tape for uh, rights away, as well as what the FCC is doing. And we work very closely with the Department of Labor, uh, obviously, on, on this issue and and I would just end that going back to the dream of 5G, uh, the workforce, uh, like everyone has said, is a challenge to everyone's bottom line. And I'm afraid this, if we don't continue to address this and, and, and focus, bring more attention to it in the 5G space, mm-hmm. it will be the, the Achilles heel of, of that fulfillment. So,
2: Along those lines, you, ta- you talked about the job training for the workers, um, but you also mentioned to me that you're helping managers. To just be smarter about what is 5G and what do we need well, to sure. know? What's coming? What have you been doing with that?
0: Well, it's interesting. It's a program that we have uh, brought to the market. We we've invested as a nonprofit significantly our own dollars into hiring um, experts in the spectrum space. Um, uh, there aren't uh, there are a lot of them out there, but they're working for the companies on this panel, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's uh, if you think about it, there's not a spectrum. Uh, course at a four-year university. There's not uh, it's just not in the it's not in the curriculum or the uh, agenda there. So uh, we have, uh, we have a, an instructor training program as well as online webinar and we'll be going as uh, virtual as well. And so uh, I'll get a, give an example. Uh, a company the size of about 400 employees has over the last few years put every one of their employees through our tech training program. Um, partly because they saw the value in training and educating their employee because they become more competitive in the marketplace. They feel like they're winning contracts with the customers. And so uh, there's real value in that, and we have um, 25 different courses, and it's everything from RF, uh, the fundamentals of RF, RF safety, wireless 101, 5G technologies, 5G marketplace, and infrastructure. And so it it really... Um, is a great program that we, uh, WI sees great value um, and our membership leaves and harmonizing underneath the WIA uh, umbrella is important for us to continue to grow.
2: I wanted to move a little bit now and just talk about where's the intersection of what the private sector companies are doing and what the administration and Congress is doing. And so we have James here um, from the administration. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what's been going on specifically first, I guess, with your work on apprenticeship programs and trying to make those more accessible?
5: Sure. And so you guys have heard a lot about the demand side so far this morning, and where I come in is more on the supply side. And from my perspective, hearing stories that we can't find enough skilled workers, we can't find enough workers, period, is a tremendous opportunity, right? Because one thing it does, it puts more pressure on post-secondary institutions to deliver a better product faster, because the students have other options that weren't weren't necessarily available to them in leaner economic times. So I I think before moving forward, we need to understand that economic growth is very important for this conversation as well. Um, Understanding that, from our perspective, training and education doesn't work unless you have employers at the table. Um, If you want to deliver a student a quality experience, that means that the feedback loop between the employers and the educators needs to be uh, accelerated or minimized to the greatest extent possible. Otherwise, instructors, teachers, uh, or educators won't be able to provide students what the skills they, they need to get hired. This can be take different forms, whether they're learning outdated technology or whether they are learning uh, an academic subject in a silo that's not actually providing them with the actual skills they'll need to interact or navigate an office space, whether this be team-based work uh, or collaborative experiences. So this is these are the reasons why we're such champions of apprenticeship programs, uh, because this inherently embeds the em- educator and the employer in the, in the education experience. Um, nobody knows better than employers what the skills they are they're, that they're looking for. So wherever possible, we want them to be at the table. And the reason why we're very excited about the industry-recognized apprenticeship program is this, we see this as an avenue to help more small and medium-sized employers engage in a mixed model learning opportunity uh, these are the employers you know small smaller shops 10 15 50 100 that dedicating the resources to administering an entire apprenticeship program might be out of their reach you know the the business of employers is business uh, and while talent development is a critical to securing long-term growth there might not be their core strengths There might not be their core competencies so we want to better connect employers with folks who have those core competencies in order to develop <laughs> those partnerships
2: And I think I talked to a number of you about just the need to be early on in the process and kind of changing the education framework there. Um, You know, I think Robert said that they have a a county that starts out as low as Mm -hmm. pre-K. Has the administration been working at all on using federal money that's currently out there to kind of change where that's going or how it's being used?
5: So Sahil talked a little bit about the emphasis on STEM out of the Department of Education and the computer science in particular. I think one of our major legislative accomplishments over the past two years has been reauthorizing the Perkins Career and Technical Education Act. This is a relatively small federal program, but what it does is provide financial assistance to career and technical or vocational education programs. Um, And from our perspective, one of the big changes in that bill was encouraging more work-based learning. Again, it's the relationship from our perspective that's so important here. If, if educators are actively partnering with employers to provide students work-based learning opportunities, like some of the ones Robert described, uh, we're expecting that they'll be getting the feedback on what's being taught in the classroom as well. So while students might not, not, every student might not have a work-based learning opportunity, we think it will benefit all students. I think another significant change that we're putting in place is changes to the federal work-study program out of the Department of Education. This is a, this is a large federal student aid program that essentially provides subsidized employment opportunities to students while they go through college. Um, We think these resources could be better used off-campus, where students would be able to receive funding to participate in an actual employment opportunity with an employer who will hold them to a higher standard than their campus instructors will, uh, and where they might actually learn skills that are more relevant to their future career path. And I think this is particularly important for lower-skilled college students, where an unpaid apprentice or internship opportunity might not be something that they can afford in their particular situation. A federally supported work study position is something that could benefit them.
2: Adding on to that, do any of the other panelists have things to add of how we can better prepare students starting at even very young levels to for these types of jobs or just an awareness of what other jobs are out there?
4: You know, I I do want to just sort of publicly uh, thank and acknowledge James's efforts in this uh, space. I mean, he's usually in the background as a staffer, uh, but he has been maybe one of the most uh, essential uh, lead staffers on these issues on Capitol Hill and now in the administration with a real focus on trying to create positive outcomes. And, you know, James has really been uh, fantastic on these issues. And he's, I, I think he's absolutely right in terms of um, you know, creating uh, a situation where it's easier for employers to engage in this process. Um, you know, we heard how difficult it can be for some, um, you know, a company like Toyota with uh, with resources and, and operations across the country. It's a little bit easier, although it's hard if the system is not set up to facilitate that dialogue. You know, in the past, there's so many different boards um, that you could be a part of, none of them talking to each other. Um, to try and influence the system. I think the recent changes that have occurred um, on, the, on, the, on the congressional side and on the administration side have helped facilitate better uh, engagement. Um, and for, for us, in terms of kids and, and getting them focused and engaged, we, we do have, um, in one county in Kentucky, um, program programmatic uh, input um, from the pre-K level all the way through uh, the four-year uh, and master level uh, 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 programs um, and so a, a, a young individual can literally be a part of an educational experience throughout their entire educational career that is helping them prepare for work at Toyota. And you might think, well, what, what are you doing at the pre-K level? Um, uh, but you know, to be honest with you, uh, the foundational elements that are required to be successful at Microsoft at a, at a, at a sophisticated level start at the pre-K level. Uh, And, um, you know, and and unfortunately, again, if you think that there's a gap between employers and community colleges or colleges, you can only imagine what that gap might be with pre-K institutions, right? And so, um, you know, we have been able to do this in one county. Uh, Where we're, we're present sort of across the spectrum, but um, we can't be in every county uh, and, and no employer or no group of employers can really be in every county. And so it's really about, you know, working with the administration on, on facilitating programs that help students understand that connection. I mean, I struggle with it at home with my own children who, you know, I was just talking with an individual uh, before coming in about how my son still thinks math is a useless subject. And uh, I'm am still working on him, and I think there's still hope. But um, uh, he hasn't given up completely on math, uh, thankfully. But um, um, you know, but why is that? Why Why are kids going through school, and their teachers are not able to connect the dots for them with such basic, fundamental um, uh, uh, coursework in their life? You know, and the major, and what they will be doing for the majority of their life. Um, that's a real problem, um, and we need to do a better job by inspiring kids in different ways to figure out, oh, this 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 is important. This is useful, um, at least in some way, in some way.
0: I would support that as well as uh, what James said, and just underscore the fact that the Department of Labor programs that have been in, in there for many many years are not geared to working with industry efficiently. <laughs> They're really tied into uh, the higher level of, uh, of education institutions and that there's there's a there's a certainly a gap in that conversation which you, you suggested and so um, that's why we think it's important for and decided to take a, the leap of faith the investment into apprenticeship and, and education training as, as we have Um the uh, And, James, you mentioned that the, the market we're in, you have those small companies uh, that are family-owned. And, and when you talk to them, down in the, a company I know, down in Kinston, North Carolina, mm-hmm. Hightower uh, Communications, he can tell you that he's got business for the next three, four years. Um, and I ask him what's holding him back, and he goes, it's training, uh, hiring the right people, and then getting him into, and they're actually an apprenticeship Employer uh, getting them into the program um, and keeping them, and so uh, once they keep them, they find that the apprenticeship model uh, prevents or reduces the the uh, rate of turnover. Uh, you have a happier employee because once you uh, in this in this business or uh, part of this business is a physical, you know. Um, uh, labor uh, job where you may be climbing towers to retrofit the 4G to 5G network uh, with the different switch out of antennas going on, and after four or five years, you, sh- you may get tired of just being working at height at 250 feet, or actually um, your shoulders uh, are worn out mm-hmm. as a 28-year-old or maybe 30-some-year-old. And so the apprenticeship model supports a career path so that we, we want to keep those folks in our industry for the next 30 to 40 years. We don't want to see them go down the street to long-haul trucking um, for a dollar more or less um, for the job. And so we are that's why we're such believers and we have so many people believing in it.
2: I think that's an important component because there's a, a different sectors of workers that we're talking about here, different buckets of them. I mean, people who are in a manufacturing job are, I think, worried that if AI takes over their job, what are they going to do? And so there's those displaced workers. There are ones within a company that might want to switch and kind of move from the blue collar to the white-gray collar. And then there are people that have no experience coming out of high school or entry-level out of college. And so it's great to see how some of these programs are able to meet, you know, all of those different workers and provide opportunities going forward. Did you have anything that you wanted to take? Yeah, I just want to wanna, I, about, I yeah. echo
3: what my co-panelists have said, um, you know, very uh, eloquently. Will, I'll add the, and state the obvious, and that is, you know, gone are the days uh, where you get a degree and you get a job and you work in a particular job or a career and you don't ever learn anything after that. Um, we are now in the time where you have to continually be learning. Um, it's a lifelong process. And so um, going back to your earlier question, you know, if we can start at a very young age, really establishing that mindset in young children, young students that, you know, if you have an interest in a particular area, that you're going to continue to grow in that area because they are going to continue to be developments. You know, we didn't talk about the cloud, for example, just a few short years ago, and now it's ubiquitous, and all the devices that we use and vehicles that we drive are in some way associated and dependent on the cloud. And what is the cloud? And so those that have that ability, whether in a very specific uh, you know, logistical fashion of working on a cloud at a server facility or those that are on, on the front end who are designing that that technology and engage in the coding and the, the development and the research that goes in there. At every end, there is ongoing education necessary. And so if we can kind of get that mindset not only in our existing employees um, but also in the workforce but also in those young people that – you know, it's not just a matter of getting a degree, putting it on the wall, and then going into the workforce and kind of forgetting about, you know, your intellectual development and professional development after that. It's an ongoing process. Um, and that's what will continue to keep us competitive uh, in, in the various industries in our country and as a as a, as a country.
2: Mm-hmm. And as the education, and I can see the important component there of just More awareness as kids are coming up through even elementary, middle, high school. I think the most popular answer today, if you ask children, what do you want to be when you grow up, it's apparently a YouTuber. But (laughs) finding some other ways if they're aware of more jobs that they can take their interest in technology to do a little more productive means is an encouraging thing.
4: Yeah. I, I can give an example of mm-hmm. one uh, thing we tweaked uh, to, to get to this, which is, um, as you might imagine, we have public tours that we give at our manufacturing facilities. You know, m- mostly that was designed because you know people would knock on our door and be curious what's, what's happening inside our four walls, right? Mm-hmm. And so we just needed to uh, sort of uh, manage that interest, right? Well, we flipped it around essentially and said why don't we just proactively go out into schools and bring kids in uh, as a way to help them see what you know one of the most important careers in their community looks like and and what's involved and so so we have a very proactive system now of you know obviously taking in interest from from the outside but also going out to schools in the areas where our plants are to bring those kids in to help them see you know, what's, what's happening inside and why it's so cool and why it might be so interested and, why, again, why it's relevant to uh, the, the school work that they're doing. Um, and we've, we've had some, some good success with that. There's, a, there's an initiative that um, the, the National Association of Manufacturers is behind called Manufacturing Day as well where uh, they sort of dedicate a day uh, across the nation to invite people into manufacturing facilities across, across the country. And that's just another example of how sort of we're proactively trying to make that connection between school and work and an early age.
2: I wanted to close up here by just asking each of you if you have any more comments thinking about this intersection and what would make this easier for you to do more of what you're already doing now, whether it's at the local level, the state level, the federal level. Are there any things that you think we should be advocating for?
0: I would just add for the apprenticeship model, um, we work with the Office of Apprenticeship, and they do great work. It's a tough job, and they, they are the funnel to the states. And not all the states are consistent with their... Paperwork, um, let's just call it that. And so it would be nice uh, to uh, harmonize, like we are doing through an apprenticeship program, that consistency. So there's, you can file in all 50 states because it's a mobile workforce, it's a mobile industry. And when you're building out this network, you may cross state lines. And so that all, all that kind of red tape slows things down, the build out. And uh, certainly the, the permitting, uh, because you have municipalities that may have different rules. From each state, and so it gets down to that level of detail. So, um, I think the, uh, the the bottom line is that um, you know, I again want to emphasize the, the the leadership that the administration has shown on five G, having that conversation because it is a national strategy. Um, but we're going to need a little more attention uh, from the workforce, labor uh, side of things to get the right qualified and uh, get keep the people in the industry and. And just a little anecdote, Rachel, I'll end on, uh, if you go to Indeed and you put in telecommunications occupations, you'll see 32 34,000 open jobs. And you'll just see those jobs begging for people um, and offering them the signing bonuses. And um, so it's it's our goal is to, to mitigate that that gap, and we're working through that uh, via the apprenticeship model and, and our tech training. So thank you.
5: Well, I'd say if there are regulatory barriers that are making it harder for folks to do their jobs, uh, they let us know. We're happy to take a look. <laughs> um, but when it when it comes to statutory changes, I, I think we're, we're huge champions of increasing access to short-term federal student aid. Um, while this is great for young adults who are looking to enter their career faster, we think who it's most important for is mid-career adults who might be facing some type of economic transition. We understand folks don't want to necessarily receive benefits to return for a two-year or a one-year certificate. We think helping them get through a program faster so they can support their family as fast as possible is a better way to help them persist in the workforce and persist with economic prosperity.
3: First, of all, I want to say thanks uh, again to Heritage for hosting this panel. It's very important uh, for our country really to keep us and, uh, and keep us competitive and continue our growth. Uh, as a leading country uh, on, in so many sectors, uh, I'm bullish. I'm, you know, there are challenges, no doubt about it, but I'm bullish because I think, uh, you know, Winston Churchill said you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after you've exhausted all other possibilities, and I think this might be one of them. Um, yeah. So, but you know, the good news is there are opportunities out there, and as we've said, you know, there are thousands of jobs out there, high-paying jobs. It's a matter of the market really uh, meeting that demand. Uh, I think we're getting there. Uh, We have an administration that gets it on all levels, uh, and now we are identifying governors and mayors and other state and local leaders who likewise get it uh, and are trying to partner with industry uh, so that we can, again, get people into very uh, rewarding uh, careers, and that's something that is very meaningful uh, not only uh, uh, for those individuals and their families but really for our country. So I'm I'm excited. There are a lot of things that we can work on but we are tackling those, and I'm confident that we'll we'll address the needs um, both in the short and the long term.
4: And I, too, want to say thank you for including me in this very, very, very important discussion. Um, uh, you know, um, we talked a little bit about the future of work and, and how people are anxious about that, um, uh, and I just want to throw out one more thing um, uh, about that specifically. Uh, I, I think that it's incumbent upon us as industry uh, to uh, To try and deal with that issue uh, front uh, head on, and um, you know, I think um, for us in the automobile industry, uh, the 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 one uh, trend uh, that seems troubling to a lot of people is this move towards our auto- autonomous vehicles. How AVs may uh, impact the workforce, uh, and so Toyota, along with some other partners, has formed a, a coalition, a group that is looking specifically at how AVs will impact jobs. Um, we call ourselves the Partnership for Transportation Opportunity. Uh, excuse me, the <laughs> Partnership for Transportation Innovation and Opportunity (PTIO). Uh, our website is ouravfuture.org. I encourage you to go take a look. Um, and what's important about this is uh, we are stepping up, recognizing that there is a challenge in front of us. We also recognize, and the challenge is actually multifaceted, and, and not everyone understands. All of the different pieces to those challenges, but um, but what's important is that um, we want to have this discussion now. Uh, we want We want to be. Pre- we want to prepare for these challenges because we feel bullish about the ability to overcome those challenges and leverage this change in a way that will benefit society uh, uh, significantly. And so, um, so so that's an example of of sort of what we need to do moving forward. To, to better deal with this issue is to acknowledge what the challenge is and try and come together and figure out how best to, to meet that challenge and, and, and create opportunity out of it.
2: Thank you. I wanted to open it up now. I think we have time for just a couple questions. If you have one, please raise your hand and then state your name and affiliation. Start right down here in the front. We've got a microphone coming to you. I'm Bob Hershey. I'm a consultant. Uh, what is being done to
3: get people into the math and show what's in it for them. I'll, I'll tackle that very quickly. Um, so we um, realize, as has already been stated, that there are challenges where um, children, on, particularly on a, on a the uh, in the elementary school uh, level, aren't necessarily making the connection between math and science and something that they might consider A little more exciting. When I was growing up, it was space, you know, and space exploration. Um, And that was something that was very exciting. You know, my parents would talk about it um, at the dinner table. Um, And so I think, again, it's very much, it has to be a local. uh, You know, this can't be something that becomes federalized. Uh, It has to be something very local. But, you know, at Microsoft, for example, we have a program called DigiGirls. And so we realized that um, for some reason, boys and girls do very well in math. Uh, and on the elementary school level, and at some point, middle school, high school, girls seem to be kind of drifting away from math and science. And by the time they're they're applying for college, there's an overwhelming number of males that are applying for math and science degrees, and women are, for a host of reasons, being directed towards uh, you know liberal arts degrees. And so, there's no reason why that should be. Uh, and so, again, we're trying to specifically target younger girls for. Uh, coding uh, opportunities. You know, um, there there are games that we have like Minecraft and others that really they don't know that they're coding, but they are, and they're having fun doing it. Um, and Xbox is a great platform for a lot of learning um, in the in the larger realm of uh, of playing a video game. And of course, our gamers are really excited about five G because they want to play faster. Um, but um, so that's some of the things that we're doing. The last thing we're doing is we realize that there is a gap of training of teachers. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're using distance learning, where you can be a community that may, or may not have a teacher that necessarily understands the latest in technology and is able to teach it to their students. So there's no reason why you can't have, um, for example, we have Microsoft employees who volunteer to teach distance courses um, in the classroom through video. But that, again, that exposes them to a technology and also sees what you can do with it, what, what you can work on, that you can work on designing the next Xbox game or on designing a you know, HoloLens uh, device that is you know, the latest in virtual reality and things that will excite uh, younger children to then pursue those careers when they go to college and beyond.
2: We have another question I'm right in the back there. Thank you.
3: Can you
1: hear me? Victoria, I may be the only retired elementary school teacher in this room.
3: You should be up here.
1: I know. <laughs> I need to be up there. I'm not kidding you. I am alarmed by your stories, and I am not surprised. I worked in um, schools in Chicago and San Francisco. In San Francisco, I watched, sadly, silently, the um, level of education constantly being eroded, going down. Our expectations kept being lowered and lowered. Our textbooks went from con- uh, text to things like uh, comic books, mostly pictures with maybe one sentence underneath. Um, what else can I tell you? Our, our test scores... We don't want anyone to feel bad. We don't want anyone to fail. So we kept reducing our standards until 50% was considered passing. When I was in school, and that's ancient history in Chicago, I got the standard basic education that all of us got. Thinking skills, math, science, social studies, art, even library science, things like that. That has all gone away. When I left San Francisco 15 years ago, we were basically teaching reading and math and a lot of social engineering things and that's what it's gone down to a lot of social engineering i had approximately five hours of teaching time in my classroom takeaway lunch and all those other things by the time we were done there was very little time for teaching subjects that you need to get the workers you need it's not happening i can tell you it is not happening now what do we do about it The teachers that are in the schools today are products of this weakened system. What we need to do is tighten our belts. Again, go back to the basics in elementary school. Raise our standards so that these kids feel that they've accomplished something, they've learned something, and then they can offer you smart educated people who can take on further education but what you're doing i think is trying to fill that gap that exists between what we as elementary school and high school teachers should have provided it's not happening so maybe a question out of that is are there particular gaps
2: are there particular gaps that you've seen coming in with students that are entering your programs where it would be more helpful if they had learned a certain subject more in yeah. elementary.
4: I mean, clearly clearly that is the case that, you know, you, you, and you can look at this on a national level and in, in regional level. If you look at scores, uh, obviously the trends are not very, very good at all. It is it is alarming. Um, you know, I, I will say this. I will say that our experience working with the education system is that, um, you know, teachers go choose this profession And are involved in this profession because they want to help. They want to. They want to instruct people. They want people to succeed. Young people in particular. And so, um, you know, I kind of go back to linking the private, you know, the 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 work uh, and 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 the education better. And I think um, you know, as in our example of approaching a community college with a set of skills that we want a graduate to have, and then back backfilling how that happens um, you know is a way to help the education system understand oh this is how i can do something better uh, and create better outcomes and for the most part um you know once they're convinced of what the outcome will be they're they're on board they want to do this they want they want to help they want to create better outcomes and so um you know how we got here and um Again, there's we can point fingers all over the place, uh, and and even at us industry for walking away from from the, from the education world. Um, but I the good thing is that when we do engage, and when uh, we are able to convince folks of what the outcomes will be, there's a lot of willingness to work with us. Um, and it's not easy, you know, getting getting a school to do away with summer vacation. There's a lot. That goes into that. I mean, teachers got to come in and teach, you know, there's no, there's no vacation for the teacher. There's, um, you know, there's all kinds of things implied in a change like that. But, you know, quite honestly, we're at the point where, um, you know, work is evolving so fast in different ways that we really do need to rethink and re-engineer how school and education is delivered uh, in ways that will uh, fundamentally change what we're doing Um, and, but I I do think I I am confident that if we can demonstrate success to the education sector, that they will be on board, uh, and and be willing to to work with us.
2: And one thing I gathered, Robert, from our Mm -hmm. conversation before was you were talking about better, smaller partnerships and Mm -hmm. not just a kind of one size fits all. And I think that applies both across the programs you're running, um, but also even across the educational curriculum. So, mm-hmm. I think that's all we've got time for today. Um, but yeah. I wanted to thank everybody for joining us. And if you did have a question, didn't get to answer it, um, please feel free to come up and talk to our panelists. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you.